This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we get a visit from Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. It was a match made in comedy heaven. At their peak, Bud Abbott and Lou Costello were quite possibly the two most quoted men in America. Nearly 60 years after they broke up, fans of all ages are still resetting their classic routines, including an ageless masterpiece called Who's On First? Did you know that Lou Costello was once an amateur boxer? <laughs> True. He fought in 12 matches under the alias Lou King. With 11 victories and one draw, his boxing career was off to an impressive start until his father abruptly forced him into early retirement. A multi-sport athlete, little Luke could also light up a basketball court despite his below-average height of 5'5". Five five. In fact, he was once reportedly crowned Patterson, New Jersey's foul-shot champion. Athleticism would help Costello earn his few Hollywood gigs. While struggling to become an actor during the late 1920s, he appeared as a stunt double in a handful of films. Unfortunately, he was seriously injured during that shoot and decided to move back east where he planned on taking voice lessons. And since talkies were rising in popularity, this seemed like a smart move, but his modest personal fortune only got him as far as St. Joseph, Missouri. It was there that he got his first taste of live theater and developing the bumbling persona he retained throughout his career. Now, let's take a look at William Alexander Bud Abbott. His long road to fame and fortune began when he dropped out of school at the fourth grade to work at Coney Island. At age 16, Bud Edwards uh, hired to work in the box office at the famed Casino Theater, where he'd brush shoulders with th such legends as Fanny Bryce and W.C. Fields. And so one fateful day in 1936, Lou Costello's usual straight man, a performer by the name of Joe Lyons, had to bail on an appearance they had booked together at the Eltinge Theater. So, Abbott was brought in as a last-minute replacement. The rest, of course, is history. While Lyons had let Costello's rants go wildly off-topic, Abbott's stage presence was commanding enough to keep the comic focused. Sensing they'd had something uh, really special going, Abbott and Costello officially launched their enduring partnership one year later. So, tonight we hear them in a program entitled Pet Shop. Costello program starring Bud Abbott and Lou Costello brought to you by Camel, the cigarette of costlier, properly aged tobaccos. The Abbott and Costello program with the music of Carl Hoff and his orchestra, our singing star Amy Arnell, and spotlighting that chunky, chubby little cherub who went caught putting corn in his Uncle Artie Stebbins' pocket because he heard him say he was going to meet a young chicken, calmly said, I'm a Costello, Costello, what's going on there? What's the idea of bringing that dog in here? Where'd you get him? Huh? I say, where'd you get that dog? Why bring him in here? Oh, I found him, Abbott. Costello, do you realize we're running a first-class pet shop now? Get that dog out of here. Oh, no, Abbott, I'm going to keep this dog. He's a genuine airplane dog. Uh, an airplane dog? Yeah, just look at his tail spin. I, oh, stop. <laughs> Costello, where'd you get that broken-down flea hound? Abbott, how can you call this little dog a flea hound? He just took first prize at the cat show. Now, wait a minute. How could he take first prize at the cat show? He took the cat. He took... <laughs> Costello, you take that dog right out of here now. Remember that. 
We don't want any mongrels in here with our other animals. Abbott, don't make me chase this little dog away. He's taking the place of my other dog that died. His name was Corset. Corset? <laughs> Corset? How did you happen to name the dog Corset? Because we tied him up in the daytime and we let him out at night. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that dog you had, Costello. He was a dachshund. Yeah. Uh, wasn't he? Yeah, one of those long dogs. Yeah, how did he happen to die? It's a sad tale, Abbott. What do you mean? He met his end going around a tree. Uh, going around... <laughs> well, I'd be ashamed... <laughs> I'd be ashamed to go anywhere with that mutt. Oh, no, Abbott. Oh, yes. This dog has class. He goes everywhere. He was at the UNO conference. He likes to hang around the big tree. Uh-oh. <laughs> Please talk sense. What's wrong with you? Now, no more nonsense, Costello. Take it easy. Hey, honest, Abbott. He's what? a very smart dog. I'll prove it to you. Susie, how much is one and one? <laughs> That's right, ain't it, Abbott? Don't <laughs> you know? Now, Susie, how much is two and two? <laughs> come on, come on, Susie. Two and two is five. Come on. Susie. <laughs> That's better. Now, Susie, for the final test, tell Abbott what time it is. Quarter to seven. Right. Wait a minute. Come here. What kind of a dog is that? Do you remember that famous dog, Strongheart? Yes. This is his brother, Weak Stomach. I... And furthermore, Rabbit, this is the kindest dog in the whole world. Notice how he's got his tail curled up? What's he doing that for? He lets the fleas loop the loop. <laughs> Look, Costello, don't bring any more broken down animals. Are you listening to me? I don't want you to bring any more broken-down animals into this pet shop. Now, get busy around here, now. Oh, answer that phone. Abbott Costello's pet shop. Mr. Costello, do you have a greyhound? Yes, I do. Why don't you get on it and get out of town? <laughs> you know, that was a peachy joke. I'll pull it on Abbott. Hey, Abbott, do you have a greyhound? No, but I have a setter. You'll never get out of town that way. <laughs> Look, Lou, will you please stop this nonsense and get busy and, and clean up this pet shop before a customer comes in? Uh, by the way, what did you do with those uh, newborn puppies? Oh, I put them in a dog incubator. You don't? We have no dog incubator. What's that can in the backyard that says deposit litter here? Yeah. <laughs> That's a no one. <laughs> you dummy, those little puppies will catch cold in the backyard. One of the puppies has a cold already. Oh, then I want you to take that cold powder and, and put it in that long rubber tube. Place one end of the tube in your mouth and one end of the dog's mouth. Uh, you understand that? Yeah. And blow. That's no good. I already tried it. Huh? What happened? The dog blew first. <laughs> oh, uh, wait a minute. Hello, Abbott and Costello's pet shop. Who? Mrs. Pike? Yes, yes, I'll send Costello over here. What kind of a dog have you? Oh, a peek in these. Okay, Mrs. Pike. Costello, I want you to go over and get a peek at Mrs. Pike. Um, get a peek at Mrs. Pike? Uh, yes. Why can't I take a good look? I... Listen, you dummy. I want you to go after Pike's peak. What do you think I am, a mountain goat? Indeed, I want you to go to Mrs. Pike's house for a peek in these. Abbott, how dare you suggest such a thing? I might glance at her ankles, but I would never peek at her knees. Where do you go? I gotta finish. I gotta finish washing this dog. What dog? You know, that little white dog that, um, that there, the one that, um... uh, Spits? No, but he drools a little. I know. <laughs> never mind that, Costello. I have to come back for Mrs. Pikes. I want you to take care of Mrs. Uh, Murphy's chow. Her what? Her chow. How was Mrs. Murphy's chow? I don't know. I never ate at her house. <laughs> No, Costello, you're thinking of the chow you chew. A what? You chew, you chew, you chew, you chew. Gesundheit, gesundheit. Hey, you catch a call, Abbott. Oh, I better get ne- that tube and put it in your mouth. Oh, why did I ever go into business with you? You haven't done a thing in this pet shop since the day we opened it. Oh, no? This morning I put a cage in the front window, and it's attracting more customers than anything you've done around the place. You put a cage in mm-hmm. the front window? What's in it? What's in it? Come here, I'll show you. <laughs> go to look at that. Listen. I love you. I love you. Ouch! I love you. Ouch! I love you. Ouch! What in the... What in the world is that? Two porcupines necking. (laughs) 
And here's Carl Hoff and the Camel Orchestra with Come to Baby Do. Now and take inventory of our animals here in the pet shop. Okay, I'll count them. Four dogs. Three cats. <laughs> Rabbits. <laughs> Costello, you didn't count that little rabbit in the corner. He wasn't there when I started counting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Stop this, Costello. Wait on that man that just came in. Yes, sir. Okay. How do you do? What can I do for you? Say, buddy, I'd like to buy a canary. A canary. A canary. A canary? No, a parrot. <laughs> you know, I think you're giving me the bird. <laughs> uh, look, I, I want to buy a parrot that talks and talks and talks for 24 hours a day. And when he gets tired of talking, I want him to scream at the top of his voice and call me all the names he can think of. What do you want with a parrot like that? Well, my wife's gone away, and I'm lonesome. <laughs> well, we'll deliver the parrot in the morning. Now, can we call you a taxi? Oh, no thanks, buddy. I'll ride my pink elephant home. <laughs> so I'll run and jump on his back. Here I go. <laughs> Miss him every time. <laughs> Forget him. Get busy, Costello. Costello! Do you hear me? Mm-hmm. What are you standing there looking in that cage for? Gee, this is cute, Abbott. What do you mean? Four little skunks are playing bridge. Four little skunks are playing bridge? Yeah, they're playing for a tenth of a cent. Uh... <laughs> hey, Costello, look who's coming in the door. Why, it's Bessie May Mucho. Hello, Bessie. Hello, boys. I came in to buy a young wire-haired doogie. A young wire-haired doogie? Ah, oh, Abby, you know what a doogie is. That's a young poopy. A puppy, poopy. <laughs> I'd like to get a playmate for the little doogie. Um, would you suggest a Siamese court? No, doogies don't like courts. Why don't you get a guinea poog or some little white meese? <laughs> I'll send my bootler over for the doogie in a topsy cob. Don't bother, Miss Mucho. I'll bring it over myself on the soon-set booze. <laughs> oh, thank you very much, and a buenos noches to you. And a pair of old snowshoes to you, too. <laughs> oh, oh, I... Sorry I ran into you, sir. Oh, that's all right, Lossie. The pleasure was all mine. Goodbye. Goodbye. Get out of here. Go on, get up, get up. <laughs> well, if it isn't... 
This is our friend Scotty Brown. What can we do for you, Scotty? You come in the back of dog. <laughs> I used to have a dog, but dogs are such a sneaky lot. What do you mean, dogs are sneaky? Well, my neighbor used to throw meat over the fence to the dog, and that darn dog would beat me to it every time. <laughs> well, I got to be getting home to my wife. I got a box here for a nice box of fresh marshmallows. Scotty, I can't imagine you buying marshmallows for your wife. Oh, it's the thriftiest candy I can buy. Before my wife eats the marshmallows, she powders her nose with them first. Oh, good day, Lord. <laughs> oh, Costello, catch that cat and put him in a cage. What is he doing running all over the store to the other cats? Nothing, Abbott. I just sold him. He's going around breaking his engagements. Uh, <laughs> hurry up. <laughs> Costello, here, com- here comes Mrs. Niles. Oh, hello, Mrs. Hello, Niles. Oh, Mr. Abbott. Ma, you have such a lovely pet shop here, but I just can't help laughing at the stuffed baboon in the front window. Oh, pardon me, that's Costello. <laughs> ah, hello, Mrs. Niles. I see you have company with you. Who are those two people looking over your shoulder? <laughs> pardon me, that's your ears. <laughs> Quiet, Costello. What can we do for you, Mrs. Niles? Well, I'm going away for the weekend, and I want to leave my little dog to board with you while I'm away. Come here to Lulu and say hello to the boys. <laughs> what kind of a dog is that, Mrs. Niles? She's a Doberman Pinscher. A Doberman what? A uh, Pinscher, Pinscher. <laughs> what are you doing? You call me a Pinscher. Will you behave yourself? Mrs. Niles, this dog doesn't look uh, like a full-blooded Doberman. Well, I paid a thousand dollars for the dog. She's part Doberman and part bull. What part is bull? The part about the the thousand... Wow! (laughs) That's a good joke if it comes out. Wait a minute. Go back and do it over. What part is bull? The part about the thousand dollars. Continue. Baby, aren't you, darling? <laughs> <laughs> yes, mother. <laughs> Tonight, Camel's lovely Amy Arnell brings you the popular favorite. You won't be satisfied until you break my heart. You never satisfied until the teardrop starts. I tried to shower you with love and kisses. But all I ever get from you is nagging and bragging. My poor heart is sagging the way you toss my heart around. A crying shame. I'll bet you wouldn't like it if I did the same. You're only happy tearing all my dreams apart. You won't be satisfied until you break my heart. to shower you with love and kisses, but all I ever get from you is nagging and bragging, my poor heart is sagging, the way you toss my heart around, a crying shame, I'll bet you wouldn't like it if I did the same, you're only happy tearing all my dreams apart, you won't be satisfied, your love won't be denied. You won't be satisfied until you break my heart. Chickery-chick, chickery-chick, chala, chala, chickery. Costello, Costello, what are you doing? I'm trying to sing Mrs. Niles' dog to sleep. Now go to sleep, Tolula. Chickery chick, chala chala. Oh, oh! <laughs> hey, yeah, but that darn dog bit me. Where did he bite you? Between a chickery chick and a chala chala. Costello, you don't know how to handle dogs. You have to teach the dog by imitation. What do you mean, imitation? 
Well, if you want the dog to sit up, you sit up first and show him how it's done. Oh, I did that. I showed the dog how to sit up. And what happened? The dog patted me on the head and stuck a dog biscuit in my mouth. Put that dog out in the kennel in the backyard. No, Abbott, no. She nearly froze out there last night. Now, don't be silly. It wasn't cold last night. Oh, no? Well, at midnight, she came in and put on a suit of my long underwear. You idiot. How could a dog wear a suit of your long underwear? She found out how to work those hinges. <laughs> hey, hey, look, Costello. It's Mrs. Niles, French maid, Fifi LeBlanc. Oh, hello, Monsieur Abbott, and you cute little man, Monsieur Costello. Fifi, oh. come here and kiss your poor old father. <laughs> Why do you always pretend you love me, Monsieur Costello? You never give me anything. Gee, I wouldn't know what to give you. You have so much of everything. <laughs> and besides, I didn't I take you to Ciro's last night? Yes, but why didn't you take me inside? No, Bella. Listen, you two, we have work to do around here. Is there anything we can do for you, Fifi? Oh, oh, yes. I have a message for Mrs. Niles. She forgot to get a license for her dog, Tallulah. Well, we'll take care of it right away. Costello, take Mrs. Niles' dog down to the city hall and get a license. Fifi, will you drive me down to the city hall? Costello, you have your own car. Why do you want to ride with Fifi? Don't mind him, folks. He still believes in the Easter Bunny. <laughs> Costello, get out of here and get that dog license. Okay. <laughs> Hello, Mary's License Bureau. Oh, hello, Mother. Yes, I'll be home for dinner early tonight. No, there aren't many people coming in for the marriage licenses today. I guess all the girls are waiting to become June brides. Oh, I have to hang up, Mother. A young man just came in the door. Goodbye. Good afternoon. Is this the place where you get a license? Yes, it is. Where is the lucky little girl? Oh, she's out in the hall. She's sniffing around. <laughs> Well, a lot of them don't like the smell of the place. It's a pretty old building. Now, uh, what are your names? My name is Lou Costello, and her name is Tallulah. I'll bet she's happy that you're getting the license. Uh-huh. She licked my hand. <laughs> licked your hand? Yeah, then she leaned down and drooled on my shoes. <laughs> she certainly must love you. Uh, what does she look like? She's a sort of chocolate brown. <laughs> Chocolate brown? Mm hmm Oh, well, I suppose she spends a lot of time in the sun. Uh, tell me more about her. Is uh, she the dainty type? Not exactly. Her ears are too long. They hang down on her food when she's eating. <laughs> You're kidding now. Oh, no. We have to pin her ears on top of her head with a clothespin. <laughs> well, as long as you love her, mm -hmm. I do hope there'll be some little ones. Yeah, and if there is, I'm going to keep all the males. What? I'm going to keep all the males. What about the females? I'll give them to the neighbors. <laughs> well, I suppose it's people's own business what they do. Now, uh, for the final question, how old are you? I'm 28. How old is Tallulah? I think she's about six or seven. <laughs> Mr. Costello, are you a hillbilly? I'm sorry, she's much too young. Now, you'll have to bring her father and mother in. I can't do that. Her mother ran away with a boxer. And the last we heard of her father, he was hanging around the back door of the backstage bar, eating out of the garbage cans. Doesn't she have any other relatives in town? Yeah, she had nine pups last month. Oh! Oh! What was wrong with her? <laughs> Costello, I'm glad you're back. Mrs. Niles is here and wants her dog. Yes, Costello, where is Tallulah? A terrible thing happened. I left the dog outside the license bureau, and when I come out, she was gone. Oh, yes. Why, you little idiot. I'll sue you for this. I'll... Just a minute. Just a minute, Mrs. Niles. I'll get you another dog. I'll get you a bird dog. Oh, what do I want with a bird dog? I have no bird. Well, then I'll get you a sled dog. I have no sled. I'll get you a bloodhound. Try and get out of that one. <laughs> Listen to me, Costello. If you don't find my dog by midnight tonight, I'll have you sent to Alcatraz. Remember? Have my dog Tallulah back at my house tonight, or else... <laughs> Gee, Abbott I can't walk any further We've searched every street in this town And here we are now Way out in the country We'll never find that dog in the dark Yes, we will Just stick close to me <laughs> Costello, that sounded like a wolf It can't be a wolf We're too far from Hollywood and Vine <laughs> Hey, look, Costello here are dog tracks. They lead down this path to the old deserted house in the trees. I'm not going to that house, Abbott. Everybody says that house is haunted. Now, don't start that stuff, Costello. 
I told you before that a ghost is nothing but a myth. A myth? Yes. You know what a myth is, don't you? Yeah. A myth is uh, an unmarried girl. Oh. <laughs> you talk sense. Knock on the door. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. There's a sign on the door. What does it say? It says, Dear Milkman, leave two quarts of blood. Uh. <laughs> Abbott, let's get out of this place. Here, uh, I'll open the door. Come on, let's go in. Gee, it's dark in here. What's that noise, Abbott? Oh, it's nothing but an old clock ticking. Uh, sure, that's all it is. Just an old clock. <laughs> what was that? 11.30. Oh. <laughs> Oh, that was just a street child someplace. Call the dog, Costello. Call the dog. Oh, Tallulah! Oh, Tallulah! Abbott, somebody just go back to me. Well, that was your record, you dummy. Try it again, you'll see. Oh, Tallulah! Oh, Tallulah! See, Costello, try it again. Come here, doggy. Come here, doggy. This is your friend, Louie. Very glad to know you. <laughs> I want to know, Abbott. I'll see you later. Come back. Come back here, Costello. That was Tallulah barking. The barking came from that closet. I open the door and you catch the dog when she comes out. Go ahead. Watch what you're grabbing. Please. Ken Niles, what are you doing in this deserted house? Yes, wait a minute. And you've got your wife's dog with you. Uh, What's behind all this, Ken? Speak up. What are you up to? All right. All right. I'll tell the truth. Come on, tell the truth. I got to tell somebody. Come on, tell us. You see, my wife is a vegetarian. Every day in our house is a meatless day. She never gives me anything but spinach, broccoli, cauliflower, string beans, and parsley. Oh, this guy's a regular victory garden with suspenders. (laughs) And finally, I couldn't stand it any longer. The vegetables were driving me crazy. At last, my mind snapped. (laughs) Oh, come on, come on. Get to the point. Get to the point, Niles. Why did you bring the dog to this deserted house? I, I didn't bring her here. She she followed me. That's silly, Niles. Why should the dog follow you? I stole her bone. Alan and Costello will be back to travel cigarettes in just a moment. And now, tonight's salute to the men in the armed forces who won through to victory. Tonight we hail the men of the 89th Middle West Division, heroes of Bingen, Eisenbach, and Central Germany, who overran scores of Nazi cities and captured more than 20,000 prisoners. Since the beginning of the war, the makers of camels have sent more than 150 million free camels to our fighting men overseas. But now, with demobilization in progress, free camels are sent to servicemen's hospitals instead. This week, the camels go to U.S. Army AAF Regional and Convalescent Hospital, Fort George Wright, Spokane. U.S. Naval Hospital, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, U.S. Marine Hospital, Galveston, Texas, Veterans Hospital, St. Cloud, Minnesota, and Veterans Hospital, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, in your honor, men of the Middle West Division. Camel broadcasts go out to the United States twice a week. Our rebroadcast to practically every area in the world where our men are stationed and to our good neighbors in Central and South America. And now here are Bud and Lou with the final word. Well, Costello, you finally solved the case of the missing dog. Ah, but that was nothing. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, if you will wait until after the program, I'll tell you about how I helped J. Edgar Hoover capture a ring of spies. No, no, not that. Anything but that. Oh, he's the biggest liar in the world. Let me out of here. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, look, Lou. Costello, it's your old friend Mullenhead sitting in the audience. How do you like that? I thought the moon was coming up. <laughs> Costello, why do you insist upon trying to make people think, give them the impression that you're smart and intelligent? You couldn't even give me the answer to the most elementary riddle. I'll try you. What's the difference between a girl, a soldier, and a water pistol? I don't know. You don't know. All right. A soldier faces the powder, and a girl powders her face. What's the water pistol for? That's for a little squirt like you. <laughs> Good night, folks. Good night. Good night, Debbie. Another great Abbott and Costello show brought to you by Camel Cigarettes. And remember, try camels in your tea zone. See if they don't suit your taste, your throat, to a tea. C-A-M-E-L-S. Millions of men, women, and children in Europe and Asia today face starvation. You can help by eliminating all waste of foods in your home, by turning in all of your used facts, and by producing and preserving all food possible through home gardening and canning. Share a meal, save a life. 
Be sure to listen at this very same time next week for another Abbott and Costello show for Camel Cigarettes. Thursday night is All-Star Night on NBC. Stay around now for Rudy Valley over most of these stations. This is Ken Niles in Hollywood wishing you all a pleasant good night for Camel. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Stay tuned for Escape next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. I'm sure many of you listening in right now have seen Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Well, tonight's escape program immediately reminded me of that film. So let's listen in as a couple of uh, folks on a farm in England become increasingly worried when birds start attacking them. Tired of the everyday grind? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape. Escape. Designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are in a farmhouse on the southern coast of England. The autumn countryside around you desolate and bleak. And you know that in the dusk outside, waiting patiently for you, silently watching for you, is an enemy from whom there may be no escape. Listen now as Escape brings you Daphne du Maurier's story, The Bird. the third, the wind changed overnight, and it was winter. Until then, the autumn had been mellow, soft. The earth was rich where the plow had turned it. I didn't do the plowing, no. My wartime disability had seen to that. They gave me mostly the lighter repair jobs to do in the three days a week that I worked at the farm. A bank to build up or a gate to mend at the far end of the peninsula where the sea surrounded the farmland on either side. Deborah and I had taken a cottage up here to try again, for the sake of the children. And it seemed to be working fairly well. I enjoyed my work on the farm. It was pleasant to pause at midday to eat the lunch that Debbie prepared and brought to me. We'd sit there on the cliff while I ate and we'd watch the birds. So many of them, Max. Yes. Well, the autumn's better than spring for watching them. How far? Oh, well, in the spring, they're content, they're full of purpose, they know where they're going, there's no delay. But then in autumn, it's different. The birds that don't migrate seem to follow a, a pattern of their own. Pattern? Hmm. Great flocks of them here on the peninsula. Restless, uneasy, wheeling, circling, coming to rest, and flying again. The land birds and the gulls down there in the bay. Same sort of rhythm in their movements. They don't really go anywhere. Doesn't seem to be any purpose to it. No. Well, if there is, we don't see it. There's a restlessness. And they're more restless this year than usual, seems to me. Do you know this morning two girls flew so close they knocked off my cap? You said yesterday when the school bus let her off, there was quite a few of them overhead as if they'd been followers. Oh, well, I suppose it means a hard winter. They always seem to know. Perhaps a message comes to them in autumn. A warning. About winter. And about death? No. Many of them will die, and I think they know it. Perhaps they feel they have to fill their motion out before they die. Like people who know their time is up and run about stupidly driving themselves. I wish you wouldn't talk like that, Matt. That, that black side of you that stirred up the trouble between us before. Oh, I'm sorry, Debbie. But it, it's come over me lately as I've watched them. The land birds mingling with the sea birds in a sort of strange, unnatural partnership. Land and sea. And life and death. 
That night it turned colder, yet the wind strengthened. Around two in the morning, the sound of it beating against the house woke me up. I lay there with this slow, even breathing of Debbie beside me. And I thought of Jill and Johnny in the room across the hall. We seemed safe. Secure. And then I heard it. A tapping on the window. First I thought it was a loose shutter, and then I realized it wasn't. I got out of bed, went to the window, opened it. Suddenly something brushed against my hand. It jabbed my knuckles, and then it was gone over the roof and behind the cottage. Uh, it's all right, Debbie. It was a bird. I don't know what kind. Bird? Hmm. Wind must have driven it against the window still. My hands wet. Uh, it's blood. Hmm? A beggar drew blood. The sleep not. Uh, must have been frightened and stabbed at me in the dark. Well, for the... Nat. The window seat was flapping. I've already seen to it. It's some bird trying to get in. Send them away. I can't sleep with that noise. All right. All right. All right, off with you. Why, little... Stay away from my face. Get away. Never in the world. Did you see that? There were half a dozen this time. They went for me. They tried to peck my eyes. Oh, yes. I'm not making it up to... Oh, what? It's Jill. Go see what's the matter. Right. Oh, Coming, Jill. Where's Johnny? I'm just trying to get What's the matter? Quick, get the children out of here. Bird. The my bed. Get the children out of here and shut the door. Quick. I pushed them out of the room. And now I was alone with the bird. I seized a blanket, and I used it as a weapon, sweeping it right and left. I could hear the thud of bodies, but they kept coming at me. They are jabbing my hands, my head, trying for my eyes with beaks as sharp as pointed forks. And I wrapped the blanket around my head, beat about with my bare hands, blindly. I don't know how long I fought them. Finally, the beating of wings lessened, and then I still... I unwrapped the blanket from my face. The cold gray dawn had seeped into the room. The floor was littered with the tiny corpses of the birds. Robins, finches, sparrows, larks. Some had lost feathers in the fight. The others had blood. My blood on their beaks. Sickened, I went to the window. And the fierce sea broke harshly in the day. But there was not a bird in sight. Not a sparrow chattered in the hedge. No early thrush or blackbird pecked on the grass for worms. There was no sound at all but the east wind and the sea. Matt? Uh, I'm all right, Debbie. Oh, I didn't know what... You're covered with blood. Some of it's the birds. Look on the floor. Oh. There's so many of them. Yeah. Fifty. I counted them. It's horrible. Come on, Danny. I'll clean the room later when I have more stomach for it. It must have been gas before. Are the children all right? Yes, I put Jill to work making tea. Johnny's in our bed just now asleep. Not why. The birds? Well, it must be the weather. The sudden change confused them. It has to be that. The tea's ready, Mum. Oh, good. Did you drive away the birds? Yes, they're all gone now, Jill. I hope they won't come again. Perhaps if we put breadcrumbs for them outside the window, they'll eat that and fly away. Yes, I've already had breakfast. I'd better hurry or I'll be late for the school bus. But, uh, oh, uh, I'll walk with you to the road, Joe. Yes, I think that'd be a good idea. I'll go get my coat and look. I didn't want her to walk alone. Matt, they... They wouldn't come back again. Well, I... I'll go over to the farm and find out if they heard anything during the night. You keep all the windows and doors closed, Debbie, just to be on the safe side, hmm? 
Summers, the mystery around Mrs. Trigg. Summers, the boss, but can you tell me where this cold is coming from? Russia? I've never seen such a change. And it's going on the wireless, says. Something to do with the Arctic Circle. Ah, uh, we didn't turn on the wireless this morning. <clears throat> Fact is, we had um, trouble in the night. Oh, kitty, poorly. No, no, not exactly, no. We, we uh, had some trouble with birds. I, uh... Why, it sounds absurd, but they flew in the window and attacked us. Attacked, yes. Now, Mr. Hawkins... No, I'm not making it up, Mrs. Trigg. There are 50 dead birds on the floor of the children's bedroom. Mm, foreign birds. No. No, the kind you see about here every day. Really? Well, you ought to write up and ask the Manchester Guardian. They have an officer, eh? Morning, Hawkins. Uh, Mr. Hawkins has been telling about some birds last night. Oh. They, uh, he says they attacked him. Attacked? Mm. Are you sure? Quite. Yeah. Never heard of a thing like that before. Hungry, maybe. Looking for food. Mm. You, you put out some crumbs. Yes, good. I'll be up tomorrow as usual. Good morning. Ordinary birds, he said. Attacked him. Now, what did you take us for, coming around with a story like that? He's a strange one, he is, with those superior airs. You see the look he gave us when we didn't swallow his story? Attacked him. I think he reads too many of those books. <laughs> Did you find out anything at the time? No. The brilliant advice is to put out some crumbs. Debbie, I looked all around this morning. There's not a single bird in sight outdoors. Where's they've gone? I don't know. And the Triggs had no trouble last night. Not only that, they clearly thought I was imagining it. Oh, I heard Trigg mutter something about my superior airs and reading too many books as I walked away. Nothing's real to those clubs until it hits them over the head. Well, they're nice enough people, Ned. Just that they're isolated up here. Well, that's certainly the polite word for it. I haven't been able to face going to the children's room. The birds... Oh, yes, I'll go and clean it up. I suppose the least I can do is give the little beggars a decent burial. dead birds into a sack, went down to the beach to bury them. The wind was bitter cold. I dug a pit in the sand with my heel and started to empty the sack into it, but the wind caught the birds and whirled them along the shore. There was something ugly in the sight, but the tide would take them when it turned. I looked out at the crested breakers, and then I saw them, the scowls, out there riding the seas. Thousands, tens of thousands. They rose and fell in the trough of the sea like a mighty fleet at anchor, waiting for the turn of the tide. Waiting. They stretched as far as my eye could reach. They covered the sea. I started up the steep path home almost running. Someone should know us if someone should be told. But who? And then as I opened the front door, I saw Walking. Debbie beside the wireless listening. Damage and even attacking individuals. It is thought that the Arctic airstream is causing the birds to migrate south in immense numbers. And that intense hunger may drive them to attack human beings. Our soldiers are warned to see to their windows, doors, and chimneys, and to take all precautions for the safety of their children. Further bulletins will be issued later. They've been repeating it every few minutes since you left. Well... Perhaps now those empty-headed idiots at the farm will know that I was... You sound almost dead. Oh, don't talk rot, Debbie. It's just that when people with half a brain try to tell me that I... Can't you forget that superior attitude of yours, even now? Don't use that word superior for me. I'm sick of it. So am I, Ned. So am I. You... Oh, I... I'm sorry, dear. This thing has made me a little nervy, I guess. Yes, I... I'm sorry, too, my dear. Ned... One of the bulletins said the birds seemed to be waiting. For what? 
I don't know. They said the birds are hungry. What are you doing? Here's a hammer. I'm going to get some boards and see to the doors and windows as they tell you to. You think they could break in with the windows shut to sparrows and robins and such? How could they? I wasn't thinking about the smaller birds. I was thinking about the gulls. The gulls? Debbie, have you ever been close enough to get a good look at a gull's beak? There must be a hundred thousand of them out there, riding the sea, waiting. upstairs, boarding the bedroom windows. And I wondered whether they'd take these precautions up at the farm. I doubted it. It's probably a big joke to the trigs. But according to the wireless, it was no joke. At first, some of the bulletins had been light in turn, but as the morning wore on, the concern in the announcer's voice became more and more apparent. Well, after I'd finished upstairs, I took the rest of the lumber down, boarded up the lower floor windows. What they ought to do is call the army out and shoot the birds. That would soon scare them off. Betty, uh, uh, how are we off for food? Now, Nat, whatever next. Now, never mind. What have you got in the larder? Shopping late tomorrow, you know that. I don't keep uncooked food hanging about. It goes off. But I can put some things in tomorrow. Tomorrow? It's only three in the afternoon and it's almost dark. Why, yes. The sky looks so heavy. Now, what's the matter? You've gone quite white. Look. The tide's turned. The gulls. They've risen. Circling over the sea. Not a sound from them. Nat. I'm going for Jill. I'll wait for her at the bus stop. You keep Johnny inside and keep the door shut. I looked for a weapon, but a hoe was all I could find. And I went to the top of the hill and waited. The surf was booming below, and a smudge rose behind the clay hills in the distance. It widened, divided, and spread north, east, south, west. It was a vast cloud of birds it passed close by, heading inland, up country. They had no business with the people here on the peninsula. Rooks, crows, jackdaws, magpies, birds that usually preyed upon the smaller species. But this afternoon they were bound on some other mission. They've been given the towns, I thought. They know what they have to do. We don't matter so much here. The gulls will serve for us. The others go to the towns. And finally the last came. When Jill got up, I took her by the hand. Oh, I just brought it along. Come along now, darling. Let's go home. It's cold. No hanging about. Huh? I want to play a bit in the rain. Uh, not tonight. Now, come on. No dawdling. Look, Daddy. Look over there. Look at the girls. They're flying in from the sea. They're so quiet. Yes, uh, do hurry, darling. Where are they flying to? Oh, up country, I dare say, where, where it's warmer. Don't go so fast. I can't keep up. Hurry. The girls, it's... Nothing. Come on, dear. Faster. But I can't go faster. Uh, wait, wait. There's Trig in his two-seater. Uh, looks as though we're in for some fun, Hawkins. Have you heard the news? Everyone's gone bird crazy, talking of nothing else. I'm going to take a crack at him with my gun. Uh, could you run Joe home first? Oh, yes, of course. Not room for you, too, I'm afraid. Oh, that's all right. Just get Joe home. Get in, Julia. You like to come shooting with me? No, thanks. Have you boarded your windows? No. A lot of nonsense. They like to scare you on the wireless. I'd board them if I were you. Oh, go on. You're windy. Well, see you in the morning. Give you a cow breakfast. 
I watched Trig drive Jill toward the cottage, and then I followed on foot. The sound made me look up. The gulls were approaching. The order had been given, and the farm was their target. The black bat gulls were leading, and they were bigger birds. Damn it! Turn! And suddenly one of them stove at me. Missed, rose to dive again, and then came the other six, seven, dozen. I dropped the hole, covered my head with my arms, and ran towards the cottage. They kept coming at us in the air with beating wings. Each stab of a swooping big claw, my flesh. I had to keep them from my eyes. With each dive, they became bolder. And they had no thought for themselves. When they missed, they crashed, bruised and broken on the ground. And as I ran, I come kicking the spent bodies in front of me. Now they aimed a better. Closer to my eyes. Closer. And then I reached the door of the cottage. Let me in! Let me in! And then, above me, I saw the gannet poised against the sky for his dive. The gulls drew back. Only the huge gannet. The wings folded suddenly to its body, and it snapped like a stone at me. The door opened, and I flung myself in. What's that? What was that? A gannet. It has stripped my skull. Now? Yes, thanks. You, you're quite the wound, Are the children? In the other room, I didn't want them to see you that way. No. Your hands are the worst. I'll be all right. We'd uh, better all sleep here in the kitchen tonight. I'll bring down the mattress. All right. I'll take something tasty for supper and wasn't prepared. Wait. What's that? sound. What is it? The birds crowding against the outside of the house. They're trying to find a way in. Matt! Don't. They, they can't get in. I tell you, they cannot get in. The board will hold. For how long? How long? Before... Not it. Here. I'll turn on the wire. Turn them out. There. There, Sarah. Yes. Anything, so I can't hear that call either. It's only the food that worries me, Debbie. Now, I've noticed that the birds come in with the tide, but the tide will go out about nine tonight, and we should have a lull of about six hours. I could slip out during that time and go to the farm, see if they can do the something. Yes, The national emergency was proclaimed at four o'clock this afternoon. Yes. Measures are being taken to safeguard the lives and property of the population, but it must be understood that these are not easy to affect immediately. Due to the unforeseen and unparalleled nature of the present crisis, it is absolutely imperative that everyone remain indoors until further notice. The birds, in vast numbers, are attacking everything in sight. The population is asked to remain calm and not to panic. There will be no further transmission from any broadcasting station until 7 a.m. tomorrow. It's like this all over, then. All over. Ready? Go back, Let's. Let's forget it. Let's all just try to get some sleep. On the chimney. No. Where's the oil? On the shelf. Get the oil. Squeezing through the chimney. Stand back. Maybe throw the oil on the coal. There. I'll get them. Dad. Man, I can't stand it. Get me paper, wood, anything it'll burn. Hurry. Their charred bodies kept dropping down the chimney. I raked them to one side, but more came. I threw on the rest of the oil. We found papers on it, kindling, anything. The flames roared higher. More bodies. This pinch was unbearable. I kept at it. Finally, they gave up. And I went over to the basement. I was sick. 
nine in the morning, the rustling ceased. I opened the door a crack. Crushed birds were deep about the house, but there was not a living bird in sight. The tide had gone out. Now was my chance to get food and fuel. I ran all the way to the farm. There was no smoke from the chimney. I came round the corner of the house and stopped in the doorway, almost covered with dead birds for Mr. and Mrs. Trigg. What was left of them? Beside him was his gun. Beside her, a broken umbrella. I loaded the two-seater with all the food I could find, enough for perhaps three days, and drove back to the cottage. I told Debbie the Triggs didn't need their car for a while and had told me to take it. She said nothing, and toward nightfall, the birds came back again. We sat by the fire and listened to the rustle as they crowded against the house. But this time there was a new sound. They brought up their heavier forces against us, the birds with larger beaks. I could hear the sound of tiny bits of wood being torn away. They escaped as the tide came. Then they leave. Then they'll come back again. They'll keep coming back. Matt. Yes? The pigs. They're dead, aren't they? Yes. We're all alone. Strange. I feel closer to you than than I'd ever. That it should take something like this to bring us. Debbie, you you may be interested to know that right now I do not feel very superior. Don't nap. I don't know, Debbie. I do not know. I listened to the sound of the splintering wood. And I wondered how many million years of memory were stored in those little brains behind the stabbing beaks, the piercing eyes. Now giving them this Instinct to destroy mankind with all the depth precision of machines. And switched on the wireless. Was dead. And I reached for the cigarette. There was only one left in the packet. And I lit it. I threw the empty packet on the fire. And watched it burn. Under the direction of Norman MacDonald, Escape has brought you The Bird by Daphne du Maurier, specially adapted for radio by Robert Wright, starring Ben Wright with Virginia Gregg. Featured in the cast were John Daner, Ann Morrison, Ann Whitfield, and John Dodsworth. Your announcer, George Walsh. The special music for Escape is composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Father Knows Best, followed by The Green Hornet. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.